When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Our merch store is officially live. The Valpocalypse Now Cutoff Tea. Uh, just went live. You can see images of that on Instagram or on surfsplendorpodcast.com slash shop. We have Surf Splendor tees. We have spit tees. We have t-shirts and hats for the grit, stickers for everything. Our supporters save 20% on merch. So maybe just click that subscribe option first, and then I'll send you a discount code, and then you can earn your money back immediately. Supporting our network here is only $5 a month, and for it, we do surfboard giveaways and more. It allows us to not only continue our work and to grow it, but also to archive all of this back catalog. There are over 360 episodes of Surf Splendor alone, 100-something of The Grit, 200 of Spit, so... It's a lot of content and launching the e-com store actually overburdened our website because I had not thoroughly or kind of smartly built all of the back catalog of episodes. So I've spent the recent weeks transitioning to a new host, archiving files, finding and fixing glitches, etc. So your $5 subscription, you probably won't notice missing from your bank account, but it really goes a tremendously long way here towards covering hard costs, hiring freelancers, and also covering our time. So, and by the way, the merch looks and feels great. So thanks for all your support. Surfsplendorpodcast.com. Enjoy today's show. people when you really think about it get the opportunity to spend you know a day truly by themselves or you know two or three days but when you start getting up into the weeks and months you know when you're sailing um single-handed um you know, especially up the north of australia where it gets pretty remote um yeah it just it was a really good time where it sort of cracked me open and it was really from an emotional standpoint, it was really difficult. I'd gone through a relation break, relationship breakup prior to that. And then, yeah, it was a sort of a breaking down of the ego at the time, I guess. And just sort of, but I had this beautiful moment on the other side of it where, you know, just, I really started to put what was important to me in perspective. And, um, and it, it really was time and lifestyle and, you know, a good, good connection with nature and, and the community. So, um, I sort of post that trip, I really started focusing, I you know, reassessed my goals and, and really just started to try and design my life around you know, being in nature as much as possible and, and being outside and having enough time to spend with friends and family and, and um, you know, share experiences. Paradise. 
Welcome back to the show. Today's guest has very quietly and inadvertently infused his ideas, ethics, and ideology into my surf life and this very podcast for probably the last five years or so. And honestly, I am the better for it. He's made decisions that I wish I was brave enough to have made in my youth. I'd like to think that I'm living a life that I've designed, kind of doing work that I'm proud of and that I've elected to do. But if I really analyze the details of my day, I'm servicing some obligations that snuck their way into my acceptance. You know, why do I spend so much time on the freeway? Why don't I live closer to the beach? And the reality is I've made some compromises to afford some frivolous comforts and luxuries, which of course most people do and uh, we accept kind of as we move into adulthood. Or at least that's how we justify our own compromises is everyone else has abandoned their youthful ideals so it's okay if i slightly erode my own but then i talk to guys like ryan occasionally and it's like shaking the etch-a-sketch in my brain his demeanor and his energy his singular focus and adherence to principle is a homing beacon for me it's a grounding reminder that self-health not only allows you to stay true to those ideals, but it also gives you the clear-mindedness to execute whatever other goals and ambitions you may develop along the way. Ryan started a small wetsuit brand, sort of a non-brand actually, back in 2013. He made just two wetsuits, a 3-2 and a 4-3. He had worked in the surf industry in product design, so he had connections at the wetsuit factory. He knew how to improve and refine the design of the product for his own needs and specs. Nothing extra, just kind of what he needed for himself. There were no logos, there was no branding. And so he made a couple of suits, and then of course his friends wanted some, so he made a few more. And rather than texting photos of the suits to people and trying to hand over cash or track PayPal info, it made sense to showcase those wetsuits on a website. And it was 2013, so tech companies had just built and streamlined kind of easy to use e-com stores and payment and shipping gateways and plugins that were affordable for tiny businesses. And these were things that were huge and expensive hurdles to solve for businesses previously. But the timing was perfect. And Ryan had made a better product than what was available on the market for about half the price just by focusing on the product itself And then he was able to ship it directly to the consumer. And he was able to do all of this while living on a sailboat. Around 2015, a friend of mine sent me a link to Ryan's website and said, look, there's no frills, but I got a couple of these wetsuits and they're killer. They're inexpensive, they ship to your door quickly, and they're as good, if not better, than anything that I've been wearing. And so I took that advice, I bought a suit, and I've been wearing his wetsuits ever since. Somewhere between then and now, probably around 2017, Ryan was in Southern California, so he and I linked up and we recorded a podcast together. And I never actually published that episode. It was a really good conversation, and we certainly didn't discuss anything controversial. But a week or two after, Ryan emailed me or texted me and he asked if I wouldn't mind holding off publishing that episode. And he didn't explicitly state why, 
But what I think the gist of it was, uh, was that Ryan's just not comfortable with self-promotion. You'll notice that you've probably never seen an interview with him anywhere, and you've probably never even seen his name in surf media until it popped up in the title of this episode. And I really admire that discretion of Ryan's. But I also think that his worldview is absolutely worth sharing. I think that his business practices, both as it relates to manufacturing and employee relationships, is right. I think it's commendable and I think it's an example to follow. So I am grateful that I'm able to share this conversation with you today. And for the record, this is not that original uh, conversation that we recorded in 2017. This one was just recorded in late April 2021. Ryan, as part of his brand, has been operating as a producer to make a series of films showcasing his main team writer, Torin Martin, who does a lot of the R&D for the wetsuits and the products. So last week they launched part one of a four-part series called Lost Track Atlantic. So I figured it was a good time to reconnect and catch up with Ryan. So I'm David Scales for Surf Splendor, and I hope that you enjoy my chat with Ryan Scanlon of Need Essentials. David, how are you? Wonderful. Sorry for keeping you waiting. No, all good. Sorry, I'm in the car. I'm uh, out on the road. So, cool. Where? How, where? How are you? I am um, busy. I am like, I mean, I'm very good. I'm very happy, and all is well. And but I'm just busy in every single aspect of my life at the moment. <laughs> Expecting my first child. Oh wow! Uh, when? Uh, October. So we're just kind of at the end of the first trimester. Yeah, congratulations. Thank um, you. Do you know what you do you know what you're having? We're having a boy. Oh wow. That's cool. Yeah, so it's kind of crazy times right now, but it's good. I know how you feel. Um I'm expecting a child in six weeks. No way. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Uh um, boy a little boy or girl. Little boy as well. Yeah. Have you yeah. sorted out names yet? Um, no. <laughs> We're um we're hopeless. We haven't sorted anything out. We haven't got we haven't bought a single thing or got a single thing yet. So um but it, it'll all come it'll all come together. Uh, it, we've got six it, weeks to go. I mean it tends to. It actually blows my mind that people used <clears throat> to do this without Amazon to deliver things and modern technology and hospitals and stuff like that. Yeah. We used to do it in caves. <laughs> it's- it's wild actually <laughs> i have this um i have a i do like a sort of mindfulness thing every now and again it, it's like a time meditation imagine you know being alive thousands of years ago and just you know it makes you appreciate sort of the modern world more and all the comforts and everything that um would yeah, you a good, good one to think about with childbirth is there any other time in history that you would prefer to be alive uh i don't think so I think we've got it pretty good. I know. I think so too. Um, mm. I envy the simplicity of some of that stuff, but yeah, there's no no other time I'd prefer to be alive than right now. Yeah. I find myself, um, I think everyone dreams this, that if you could take your surfboard back and go back 50 years and enjoy some of the lineups by yourself. But uh, yeah, that's uh, wishful thinking. Those empty lineups are still out there. They are. What are you doing? What are you doing on the road and where are you? 
Uh, I'm just near home. I'm not too far, but um, just on the north coast of New South Wales. But um, we're just heading into uh, autumn now. So uh, things are starting to cool down and starting to get a few nice swells and those sort of all-day offshores and everything, which is good. So you on the road surfing or on the road for business? Uh, surfing, yeah. Good, good for you. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Lost Track to start off our conversation. Yeah. Nor- Northern Scotland to West Africa. Um, w- who came up with the locations for the trip? And then also just kind of the idea for the trip in the film. Oh, I don't think we, we didn't overthink it. Um, you know, Lost Tracks that have become a, a series now. So, um, you know, we did like New Zealand last year. And, um, you know, the three of us being Torrin, Ishka and I were just talking about what next. And I think Torrin had a couple of ideas in mind and um, one of them being this trip. Um, I think initially the idea was to be on the road a bit longer and um, spending a bit more time, you know, heading down the African coast or a bit more time in in Europe. But, um, you know, the trip was cut a bit short because of the whole COVID thing came on sort of halfway through it. But um, yeah, I, I I think most most of the idea came from Torrin. I think I can't really remember to be honest. <laughs> How long was the trip? Uh, I think it was about four months, uh, three or four months. Um, they're on the road for so. Yeah. And, tell um, me, tell me about how what position are Torrin and Ishka in where they can just take off four months at a time? Well. I, you know, both of them really you know, had the time to do it. Um, they both work with need essentials, um, you know, so that allows them to have the time to be out out on the road. Ishka's a, you know, a filmmaker and, um, you know, works with the company. So that's how he's sort of supported out on the road. And obviously Torrin, um, you know, is part of the company as well. So his, you know, role is helping us test and develop and design products and, you know, also make some of these films, you know, to capture some of the, some of that time on the road. But um, yeah, so I think things will change a little bit for Ish because he's just had a, you know, his first child as well. So um, that might <laughs> slow him down a little bit. But um, yeah, the plan is to, you know, continue on and, and do more of these lost track films, you know, into the future. So you know, the guys have got some uh, good ideas, you know, and Torrance, you know, being tossing around, you know, different, different ways of traveling to different spots. So, but obviously um, at the moment, that's sort of all on hold with everything going on with travel restrictions and everything around the world. Yeah. And that's actually the reason why I ask that question is it's obvious how you do it when you're in your early twenties and in your early twenties, you could do it on a shoestring budget as well. And you don't have any obligations, but those, guys have prioritized the uh, keeping a loose enough schedule to be able to take four months off. And also the partnership with Need Essentials is what I was really getting at. So what is your expectation of them as Need Essentials? And what is your involvement in in the film process? Um, There's no expectation. Um, It's really... um... You know, I, I love filmmaking. It's a passion of mine and I love designing products. So <clears throat> they're the two things that I love, you know, when I get up in the morning, I go for a surf and, um, 
you know, and then when I've got a bit of time, that's sort of what I, I turn my attention to. So, um, as the company, you know, I've spoken to you before, the company really just started as a one man band, um, with me years back. And the idea was to try and create something that could help fund my own travels. But, um, as the company sort of grown, you know, larger than what I sort of had ever intended it to do, um, I've been able to bring other friends and like-minded people into the company and, and allow the a company to do that, um, or to, you know, to enable their sort of journeys as well. But, um, really it's just, you know, the films are an extension, you know, we don't do product marketing and we don't do advertising and all that. So, you know, making the films and sharing them in a way makes people aware that we exist as a company. And, um, you know, in, in return, as I said, Torrens out sort of testing and road testing all our stuff and providing feedback and helping us design. And, you know, Laurie's also doing that. And, um, yeah, so it's sort of just, it's like a little community now that works on the project and our focus is really just on product and, and making a couple of films along the way as well. So. Do you remember when you first met Torrin? I did. Um, he actually uh, bought a bought a wetsuit office, and, and that's how we got talking. So, yeah. Did you have a, an awareness of him as a surfer before you met him? I did. I was spending a bit of time um, hanging around where he's from, and I'd seen him surfing, and um, yeah, only a few times. But um, yeah, just in the conversations I started having with him and everything, he's you know, he's got a really good nature and. It's really calm and um, yeah, quite humble. And um, yeah, so I, I could definitely see uh, that yeah, he was a really talented um, surfer there and um, yeah, had an amazing story. Did you have any um, desire to have a team writer, for lack of a better term, for need at that time? And did he have any other sponsors courting him at the time? Um, he just, um, come out of a relationship with another company. Um, so he wasn't sponsored, um, at the time. Um, he just started work doing some work with Simon Jones and Simon was helping him out with boards, but yeah, he wasn't being supported by anyone at the time. Um, but yeah, that, that's the case for a lot of people, um, in Australia and, and worldwide, there's some amazing surfers at every beach or in the, in the country and um, just some of them, you know, never get the opportunity to have their story told or, you know, the spotlight come on them. So, um, and, and Torrin's a good example of that, you know, an amazing talent, an amazing surfer and, um, yeah, and just given the opportunity, you, you know, you can really see those talents um, come through. So how did that relationship develop for you? I mean, were you looking for somebody, a team writer? No, um, I, we weren't. I wasn't adverse to it at all. I, you know, um, as I sort of said earlier, the original idea with Need Essentials was, um, you know, I, was, I started when I was living on a sailboat and traveling and, um, you know, I'd been working in the surf industry on and off designing wetsuits and board shorts and stuff for, years and um every so often i take off on these sort of trips for a few years you know either on a sailboat or on a motorbike or something um yes i was looking for a way to try and you know sustain myself um and 
and do some work and, and continue to be on the road. So I wouldn't have to sort of quit that lifestyle and come back and work in an office again. So, um, so the, the or original idea was basically just to design wetsuits and sell them to friends. And, you know, hopefully that would give me enough um, sort of sustenance to, to keep traveling. But um, I sort of figured, you know, fairly quickly it, it became bigger than that. And, um, you know, people, uh, um wanted the stuff we we made and it, it became bigger than what i could manage on my own so that's when we started bringing other people and like-minded friends and everything in to help out but um yeah let's so, back, let's, sorry to spot um to no. having torrent working it was just yeah it, it just naturally sort of went down that path and yeah it works and yeah we're, we're happy with it so <laughs> so We'll get into, I want to obviously unpack that Genesis story for Neat Essentials. Um, let's get back into your background a little bit. You just kind of glossed over it. Where did you grow up and how did you get involved working in the surf industry? Um, I grew up on a farm down in Victoria, just near Bells Beach. Um, so I grew up just on a family farm, like a, a fairly large one, um, mostly with um, dairy, dairy cows and on it and um yeah it was just near the coast and um i yeah just grew up working on the farm and surfing on the coast there at the time it was a pretty talky was a pretty small community and um yeah it was only a small town of a you know, few hundred people but surrounded by some really good surf breaks and um and then uh in my lifetime the surf industry sort of you know formed there and um you know, Quicksilver obviously was sort of founded in Torquay and so was Root Curl. And um, as those companies grow, grew, um, you know, their presence in the town grew as well. So, um, yeah, when, when I was a kid, I was really into art and painting and design and, you know, making things. And but, um, I was also having to work pretty hard on the farm. So I sort of was always dreaming of a ticket out of... <laughs> manual labor on a farm so um i ended up going to art school and um this is all sort of pre-computers and you know learning painting and studying painting and um you know with the idea that i could probably become an artist in the surf industry like similar to people like simon buttonshaw and peter webb and people like that that were at the time were painting um you know board short fabrications and stuff for the surf industry and um yeah, just from surfing around town and getting to know a few people, I got a couple of opportunities in the surf industry and um, I got a job, a job with Quicksilver and um, it was sort of at that time when everything turned into, you know, went from analog hand painting and hand design to, you know, computer derived stuff. And um, I really sort of came in, you know, in that transition and, um, so before I knew it, I was, you know, learning how to design on a computer and learning pattern making and, you know, um, fabric design and, and clothing design and board shorts and everything. So I, I did a, um, basically an apprenticeship under a guy called Jeff Sweeney, who was the head of um, sort of technical products at, at, um, at Quicksilver. And um, as I got into it, I, I, you know, I realize now, but at the time I, um, you know, I just wasn't cut out for an office job or spending, you know, a lot of time in the office. So I sort of went into this, um, 
a couple of decades of really just working with within the surf industry and design roles and for you know two or three years and then basically burning out and then just taking off and going on you know these big sabbat you know a couple of year long sabbaticals and um so you know i'd, I'd take off um around the world you know chasing surf um you know and sort of trying and go as long as i could with as little money as i could and, and stretch it out so i'd end up you know riding bikes or you know, hitchhiking or doing it on an extreme budget just so i could you know stay out of the office long enough and you know come back with no money at the end of those trips and um, i'd be lucky enough to you know to be able to get into a job back in the industry but um yeah quicksilver was really supportive with me over those years and in, in giving me a role you know each time i came back so but yeah that's that was where i learned learned a lot of the trade you were in your mid-20s maybe around that time yeah i probably i think i started i'm pretty bad with dates but um yeah i would have started working around probably 20 1920 and um yeah right through my 20s and 30s was that sort of yeah that that time of sort of dancing between the surf industry and, and and doing those long sort of sabbatical trips so i think a lot of people uh can identify with not being cut out for an office job but probably 98 percent of them just keep doing it for the next two decades despite wanting to do what you did uh what do you think empowered you to be able to kind of leave that and just do what you wanted to do um, I know it was, I'd done it a few times. So it, each time I did, it was a really, um, you know, giving up as at the time it felt like you were giving up a career and, you know, you were risking it all and giving up the security and everything. But, um, I, I guess, you know, that wanderlust sort of, you know, drove me to just take a risk, but, um, the, it was probably the sailing. I think I, I did a big trip. Um, I sailed up the east coast of Australia, you know, up into Indonesia and stuff on one of those trips, and it gave me enough time um, on my own, um, which was really unique. I sort of took off. Yeah, I think I was sort of around thirty at the time, and um, you know, on this sort of ego-driven trip that I'd go and you know do this amazing journey and and conquer the seas and get all these amazing waves and everything and um i know one of the lessons from doing a, a trip on a sailboat is it takes a long time um it takes a lot of energy and there's a lot of you know hard time spent you know wrestling and dealing with problems and dealing with mother nature and you know all that she'll throw at you and um but the biggest challenge was spending, you know, long amounts of time on my own. And, um, yeah, not many people, when you really think about it, get, you know, um, the opportunity to spend, you know, a day truly by themselves or, you know, two or three days. But when you start getting up into the weeks and months, you know, when you're sa sailing um, single-handed, um, you know, especially up the north of Australia where it gets pretty remote, um, yeah, it just it was a really good time where it sort of cracked me open and it was really from an emotional standpoint, it was really difficult. I'd gone through a relation break, relationship breakup prior to that. And then, um, yeah, it was a sort of a breaking down of the ego at the time, I guess. And just sort of, but I had this beautiful moment on the other side of it where, you know, just, I really started to put 
what was important to me in perspective and um and it, it really was time and lifestyle and you know a good good connection with nature and and the community so um i sort of post that trip i really started focusing and you know, reassessed my goals and and really just started to try and design my life around you know, being in nature as much as possible and and being outside and you know sort of um having enough time to spend with friends and family and and um you know share experiences like that does that make sense makes a lot of sense um so i I sort of gave up my goals of you know wanting to achieve um i don't know material wealth or um you know monetary wealth or anything like that and and really reassessed what you know what i was actually trying to build or you know what what i sort of um you know, saw as being wealthy. Did you have people at home who had a hard time understanding that shift in perspective and, and you just wanting to be gone for a long period of time? Um, at the time I was sort of, I was running as a soloist. I didn't have a, you know, any relationships, you know, at the time. So that gave me the freedom to be able to be selfish, I guess. But um, Did your parents I, understand? Yeah, well, they were going through a similar transition as well. So, um, my dad and mum, years before that, had sold the family farm and bought a sailboat, and they were off sailing around the world as well. So, um, I think while I was doing that trip, they were over in Africa, you know, taking having their own journey, and and um, I think in a way they had their own sort of epiphanies like that, and. Um, and was sort of having a similar experience and theirs was a lot, you know, their trip at the time was a lot bigger than mine. And um, they took on a lot more and, and traveled a lot more miles than, that, than I did. But um, yeah, so I think um, it was sort of a shared experience. They were probably even, you know, doing that before I was. So they, they in a way I was watching them and watching their experiences and, and you know, they were becoming an inspiration to me as well. So. I was lucky in that sense. How were you able to get boards through these trips? Um, I just had the, I had a couple of boards. I had a, um, I was still riding th- um, thrusters at the time. I had a couple of short boards um, that I ended up giving away, but I had this um, beautiful Wayne Lynch single fin um, that I did a lot of that trip with. And I, um, yeah, it was sort of in, in that time, I uh, ended up sort of really changing my quiver and, and my boards and, and what I was sort of enjoying riding. Um, yeah, I think basically around that time, I, I think I've ridden a short board probably, you know, under 10 times since then. So, yeah. I know the feeling. Um, <laughs> <laughs> in hindsight, would you have done that phase of your life any differently? It seems like obviously it was tremendously beneficial, but, is there anything that you would have done differently about it? Um, not really. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I hadn't really thought about that too much, but um, probably had the confidence to keep going and, um, you know, to go a bit further and longer. You know, I, I did eventually have that sort of thought, oh, maybe I should go back and pick up the career again or, you know, maybe I should get serious and, you know, uh, 
you know, start saving up for the house or, or things like that. But, um, yeah, so, um, I don't know, it's all easy in hindsight, isn't it? You can look back and say you could have done it better, but, yeah. But no, no, I wouldn't change anything. Why? So why did you give up that life? Um, well, I, I went back for another dip in the surf industry, actually came over to... Um, you know, California and worked over there, um, for a few years. So, um, I think I told you, I ended up, I was, um, flew over and was based out of, um, Southern California. And I was actually living on the boat, um, in one of the harbors there and, um, working back within the surf industry for a couple of years. And that was sort of my last stint there. Um, so I'd sort of, um, yeah, did, did another few years, um, but you know, I spent a lot of good time around California too. Having the boat, I was able to you know get get out a bit off the coast there and do some surfing. And I spent a lot of time down in Mexico and you know up north um, on the California coast and everything. And met some amazing people and some really talented people. You know, in my time there, so um, it was good. But by the time after that sort of stint was, I, I knew I'd I couldn't go back. I had to sort of cut ties with that sort of. Um, you know, jumping back into that sort of office work, I had, it really, by that stage, I knew it wasn't for me um, and that I, you know, I needed to mix it up. So I, after that trip, I was prepared to mow lawns or do whatever I, <laughs> I had to back, um, you know, as, as long as I wasn't sort of inside. I, I really felt the need to just be outside and be in nature. Um, given, given that mindset, it, doesn't seem like the most logical choice then to start a company because that could actually anchor or and it usually does anchor somebody to an office. Um, what need in the market, no pun intended, did you see that existed? Maybe what holes were there in the kind of surf industry model that you had worked in and uh, how did you set out to fix those things? Yeah, um, well, I'd seen the need for 20 years I'd actually had you know the idea of need essentials um in my head for decades really um and it, it would really form on those sort of sabbatical trips where you know when you're away from um you know surfing in remote places or away from sort of all the um I don't know the the noise of the surf brands and everything create you know there's some simple things there that you do generally need and one's a wetsuit and um but i sort of knowing how to build products and um you know knowing what would work and what didn't and what was necessarily necessary and what was not necessary i um you know really just sort of thought there was a, a missing piece there where it was just a really core focused um company that you know only provided what you need so um cutting out the branding and cutting out the advertising and you know, the stickers and the billboards and um, all the bits that didn't actually contribute to function in any way. So, um, and I actually, you know, I, I really do love designing things and problem solving as a designer. So that's probably, you know, that's what drove me to keep going and keep designing stuff. But Originally, sort of, as I said earlier, I had the idea of just having two wetsuits, a 3-2 and a 4-3, and just sort of, you know, catering for friends. Um, 
that um yeah it's sort of I, I realized a lot of people really embraced the idea and and appreciated what what we were, what i was doing or what we were doing and um yeah and i never intended to create a surf company um uh, um but yeah we have <laughs> and um I think it's good. Like we, all of us get up every day and we, we're doing what we love doing and um, there's a really good balance there. And um, I think that sort of shines through, you know, the products that we make and the films that we make. Um, and, and we're not sort of getting caught up in doing stuff that we don't want to do or we're forced to do. So, um, you know, we were able, able to sort of do it by our rules and at our tempo. So it, it makes it fun. Tell me more about, the actual business model itself, um, both on the back end, like how is it that you aren't tied to a desk by running this company? And then how does it exist as the customer experiences it? Because it's not um, sold through retail. It's not not launched in the way that, uh, and even exists currently in the way that a traditional surf brand does. So can you walk me through that business model and why it was relevant in 2012? Um, I, I am tied to a desk in a way, but the desk is just in a different place. Um, you know, at the start, you know, you, I still have to sit down and I have to design wetsuits and I have to do the patterns and, you know, and spend a lot of time making sure the product works. Um, but you know, in the first few years that desk was, you know, in, in this, in my sailboat and, um, you know, when the the back cabin of the boat would have a few wetsuits in it and, you know, someone ordered something, I'd pack it up in a satchel and dinghy off to the nearest post office and send it off to them. So, you know, I am going to work and I am doing work. Um, but as it's evolved, you know, people are, are the same. Like Laurie Towner, um, you know, he's an amazing big wave surfer and he's a, he's a good friend of mine and he's a really talented, um, creative guy. And, you know, for the last set of year, he's been working with me doing an apprenticeship in design. And, um, so he, he's a good example where, um, even though he's only new to it, he's, he's bringing some really good ideas and, and, um, understanding of what products should do that, um, he's actually tomorrow he's taking off around Australia for three months. So, um, he'll be working the whole time and, you know, obviously not standard hours, but he'll do a few, you know, hours here and there and, and he'll do what he has to do to keep the, you know, the ball moving or the, you know, everything happening, but, um, he'll be doing it, you know, in a van while he travels with his family around Australia. So, um, I think, you know, it's good that we live in a world now with the internet and, like, you know, you, you know, you and I are talking to each other on the opposite sides of the Pacific. So um, I, I think it's, you know, we live, live in this amazing time where we can take advantage of all this technology and, and do it, you know, a little differently. But um, it just takes that courage to, yeah, to break away and, and to not sort of get that, it's caught in that habitual motion of, you know, getting up and going to the same office every day. Like, but, you know, it's yeah. Does that answer the question? I've forgotten. Partially, partially. I mean, the direct to consumer model existed outside of the surf world prior to 2012, but I feel like you guys are the first who have really executed it really well 
in the surf world. Um, so that's kind of more or the, what the question was designed to get at was uh, the writing was kind of on the wall, but big brands can't pivot very quickly. And so I feel like your concept landed. And I guess you said you'd been thinking about it for a couple of decades anyways, but you launched it at a time where the surf consumer was actually kind of uh, predisposed to ordering online and to not trying things on in person because they had done it with other products. And then you kind of hit right at the right time to, I think, benefit from that. Yeah, um, that's true. Um, I, you know, you, we couldn't have had this company running 20 years earlier. Um, there was a, an opportunity with that whole direct-to-consumer and online sort of marketplace opening up or channel. Um, but we're also different because you do sacrifice a lot of sales and a lot of growth by only being online. Um, but we have the luxury of, you know, we're not chasing growth and we're not chasing, you know, we're not, we don't have any ambition to become big or the biggest and, and, and we're not big compared to, you know, a lot of, all the other you know, wetsuit suppliers out there. We've just chosen a little piece of the pie, the pie and, um, and focused on trying to do that well. And um, so, yeah, we could be bigger if we had the stores and, you know, if people could come in and try them on, you know, in many places and that um, it would increase the price and um, it wouldn't become accessible to what, you know, we're trying to do. We're trying to, make sure the guy that, you know, is a traveling surfer as well. And he's trying to stretch his budget as long as he can to get in the water as much as he can. You know, we're trying to be accept, um, accessible to that guy. So that's our, or girl, you know, that's our target. So, um, you know, we, we, we are basically, our focus is try and do the best possible product and make it um, as, you know, as accessible as far as price goes as you possibly can. So, um, to do that, you've got to forego so much stuff and there's a real discipline in the design role with it just to say, no, we're not going to do this. And even a lot of, a lot of ideas like, yes, you could get more sales if you did advertising or if you did, you know, um, made, you know, did a promotion campaign or something, you could sell more wetsuits, but it's not why we're here. We're not trying to become big. We're not trying to grow we're not we don't have investors going hey you need we need you know we need to keep going up or you know we need to hit this number we we have the luxury of being able to do it at our own pace and just and do it so it sort of sticks with our values and stays true to our values but um yeah no one's in it to get rich <laughs> well despite that you've you've seen growth and the product line has grown a lot too how do you decide what products to uh, introduce, obviously, it's not just wetsuits anymore. There's outerwear as well. Yeah, it's a, we really just think of like um, that trip that Torren and Ish went on. You know, that is in Lost Track Atlantic. Um, it's a good example of why why we exist. Is what would you pack? You know, what would you put in your board bag for that trip? And um, so that, that's basically the brand idea. We're just sort of yeah I mean, like the the brand name says it's like just the essentials you need so um 
it was weird finding the name for the company because I didn't want to call it anything. And, um, you know, I didn't actually want a name for it. But if you have a um, web address or something, you've got to, you got to call it something. So, um, you know, it really formed just out of the, the idea of what the company is and the logo or the logo was the most used font in the world, which is Helvetica and just typed it out and that, that was it. So that, that was as deep as the thinking went on, on branding the company. <laughs> um, you talked, you talked about not really earlier, you talked about not wanting to have overt marketing, but despite that, these films are actually very, very well executed marketing pieces. Um, Stab Magazine did their readers poll and Torin was in the top 10 most influential surfers of this past year. Even if it's unintentional, it has influence through the surf industry. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, again, I think that the group of people that work on those films, um, you know, and Ishka is an amazing filmmaker and he does, you know, the majority of the work and, um, you know, he's exceptional at what he does, but everyone involved, you know, from the musicians and, um, you know, to me as the producer or, you know, writing, helping, you know, shaping the story and Torrin doing the incredible surfing or, you know, whether it be Laurie or the Ayana or Joanna or, you know, um, it really is just a celebration of what we do. And um, it, it, yes, it is marketing and it makes people aware we exist, but it's also something that we love doing and we all enjoy doing. And that's probably the reason why it primarily exists. Um, it, you know, obviously it does have that, you know, the trickle down effect of people engaging with it and watching it and, and then becoming aware of us. But um I know, um, yeah, like I said, we just get out of bed and, and love doing it. So um, it's super fun. <laughs> the, um, the films tend to have kind of an ideological stance. I mean, it, it's kind of through Torin, uh, his narration talking about wanting to spend more time with loved ones, wanting to honor the, you know, the, the ocean and the land and the indigenous people. I'm wondering is there any danger in so closely identifying or kind of being synonymous with the team writer? And I know that you have Lori Towner as well as a part of the team, but Torn Martin and Neat Essentials are synonymous. And is there any danger for the brand in that relationship? Oh, I guess there's a danger in anything you do, isn't there? But um, yeah, not really. It's sort of, it's the truth. So we're just sharing you know, our story. Um, so, yeah, we don't know where that'll go. But um, I think what we try and do with anything we do is just tell the truth and, and share the truth. So um, even when we talk about products or things, we don't come up with fancy marketing terminology or, you know, um, words to try and persuade you to buy more or whatever. It's, you know, we try and just speak... Um, in truths with everything and, and say things how they are. So, um, yeah, well, you know, as I said, Torrin is part of the company and, you know, he's got a really good relationship with you know, everyone involved in the company. And we really um, love what he does and respect him as a surfer and a person. And 
he shares the you know ideologies of that we all do that everyone in the company does you know of just living simply and yeah really just choosing lifestyle and a good connection with the you know with nature and the community and so it, it works for us all so um it's exciting having laurie come on board as well um yeah he he was finishing off an apprenticeship um the last few years so i'd offered him a role a few years back and um it, he was sort of halfway through an apprenticeship as a tyler and um laurie's got you know two kids and a wife and um you know they're all real keen surfers and you know um spend a lot of time outdoors and everything and um yeah it's good to see um now laurie's sort of working with us full time he's freed up um, to travel a lot more and to chase swells and, and do trips so we're working uh, he's about to head off around australia as i said tomorrow so that um he's in essence you know working with a filmer on that trip and um he'll catch up with tyrone and another guy drew mcpherson that we do a lot of stuff with and um yeah so i'll sort of bounce around and be working on the road and um again just uh, you know capturing some of the journey so hopefully if all that goes well and we get waves and it all comes together we'll we'll share that awesome. yeah, in, in the next year or whatever whenever we're whenever we finish it <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah um regarding the direct-to-consumer business model uh considering surf shops role in kind of surf culture and how important that is have you received any critique or negative feedback from uh, surf retailers um i guess we would have i um we we sort of go non-referenced um so we try and in a way put the blinkers on a little bit and just really focus on us being good at you know being ourselves um so yes there'll be opinions out there and there'll be people that you know this brand or this you know concept challenges but um yeah uh not not directly um there's a lot of people that believe in us we have really good relationships with people that buy our products and you know we end up sort of um you know getting to know the people that buy our stuff and and have a you know ongoing relationship with them and get feedback off them and and work with them and that and and the you know so our customers really sort of dictate what what we build and what we provide and what we fix and and make better that um back to the you know the surf or the you know the sort of traditional wholesale market um i think diversity is good um you know we're not trying to take on everything we're not trying to make everything we're not you know we're really just picking black wetsuits and yeah and a couple of accessory travel accessories around that so there's a lot of space around that for everyone else to play in and and we're only a small part of that that black basic wetsuit or you know black basic program as well so um yeah i think we'll just be a, a little part of the market but i, I think you know I, I really encourage um diversity across the surf industry i think you know there should be more brands and and smaller brands and um, it'd be nice to walk into a surf shop and 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 see diversity and looks and and um offerings and yeah, I think it's amazing what's happening happened in surfboards in the last 10, 15 years, just how it's diversified and it's sort of freed people up to find what works for them and have a have more fun and more 
spend more time in the water or mix it up and try something different. So I think that it's great. And it's allowed a lot of, um, you know, smaller shapers and everything to try and find something different and, you know, something unique in the market. So it went from, it seemed like everyone in the world was nearly riding a Channel Islands or a DHD or a, I don't know, JS or whatever at one point there. And it was all getting pretty homogenized. And so it's, it's great that it's um, diversified again. And I think that goes right through the surf industry. It, you know, wetsuits can look at, you know, so many different ways and they can provide different experiences for different people and so can clothing. And I think it gets a bit stale when everyone starts copying each other and doing the same sort of stuff. And yeah, so I sort of welcome diversity and, you know, um, smaller brands and smaller companies. And I think it's, um, I'd love to see sort of the surf industry get, um, sort of reclaimed by surfers again and, and less by bankers and, you know, um, banking corporations or whatever, like a lot of the big companies are owned by, you know, if you, if you follow the sort of money line up, you'll quite often end up on a stock market or, a, you know, <laughs> a bunch of bankers somewhere. And I, you know, I'm not sure that's the best thing for, for the community. So, um, yeah, I think there's an opportunity for a younger generation of surfers and, and people coming up to, you know, find something unique and a unique way of doing things and, and, you know, coming at the industry with something fresh. Does that make sense? You're entirely right. And it turns out to not even be successful. That model that you described turns out to not even be profitable or successful for the shareholders. You know, because by the time those big brands have gone public, a lot of them went bankrupt. And um, so it doesn't really serve anybody. And I think that this resetting has been good. And I agree. I grew up in a time when there was three or four magazines, there was five surf brands. And so everybody wore the same clothing, rode the same surfboards, all had the same points of contact with the industry. And now you can kind of pick your own journey. And where, you know, there's a ton of different brands. You could all look different. You could all ride different boards. And I think that's reflected in the fact that Torin was picked as one of the most influential surfers from Stab, you know? It's that that list used to be exclusively high-performance shortboard riders. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? It is. <laughs> um, I was uh, talking with... Um, Albie Felsen the other day, the guy, you know, the maker of Morning of the Earth, the film, and uh, the director and producer of that. But um, it's interesting, he shared some footage with me um, that yeah, they're rem remastering that film at the moment and yeah. um, about to re-release it, which um, I've been lucky enough to see, which is just, you know, stunning. And um, it's beautiful because like, it captures this moment just before the surf industry emerged and just before competitive surfing emerged. And it's beautiful how every surf has just got a unique approach to a wave and a unique style. And yeah, it's, it's not that homogenized sort of approach of you have to do it this way. And um, I love sitting there watching it and, you know, just, you can really, you can still do that these days, but um, yeah, there's a real just clear distinction between each surfer and how they approach a wave. And um, I think that diversity you know, is really something that we can celebrate. And it's sort of, 
as the world becomes more globalized, we're, we're losing that. Um, you know, everything's sort of naturally starting to homogenize everywhere you go. And, um, you know, I'm 45 and 45 now. And, um, I was sort of lucky enough to do a lot of traveling pre-internet and, you know, spent a lot of time in Sumatra before you know, in the early nineties and mid nineties. And, um, it was amazing to see the cultures of those places and the diversity of each region before it got that sort of, um, started getting homogenized by global media. Um, so, you know, I, I sort of see this people starting to, you know, crave diversity again after there's sort of been, you know, a couple of decades of um, things homogenizing. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think, um, yeah, surf different things, create different shapes, <laughs> um, you know, well, celebrate diversity. I think it's something really special. It's, it makes so much sense for surfing too, because it starts local in the community shapers are building boards for those local waves. You know, people, even clothing brands are designing clothing that reflects the local culture. And so it makes perfect sense that there would be all these different micro cultures that exist. And maybe one of them grows up and has applicability worldwide, but that's a rarity. You know, the, the idea that there'd be four or five brands that appeal to everyone and meet everybody's needs is just not, not true. It's not accurate. So it makes much more sense to have these local homegrown organic brands that are supplying local needs. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, and it's a cleaner business model. There's so much less waste, you mm -hmm. know? So how has... Um, I'm curious how you have managed the growth of Need Essentials. Well, it's done with friends. In California, it's run by a good friend of mine. And, you know, it really is. Um, I don't, you know, I, I design all the um, products and other people that work within in the company now, you know, do the websites and things like that. But um, Rob in the US is running his own business. So um, it's not like... Um, we're trying to take over the world. We've just picked two other regions where friends of mine can, can use the same opportunity to create a business and, and, uh, you know, and a little, um, you know, community there. So um, the growth's been sort of self-sustained and we, you know, don't borrow money or get other people involved. It's just sort of done on our own terms. So that takes the stress out of it. And, um, we can do it at our own pace and in our own tempo, which, um, yeah, like I said, takes the stress away. So, um, I don't know, without sounding like a weirdo, nothing's changed in my life. I still drive the same car and live in the same little house, you know, which you've stayed in, Yeah, which is, yeah, the little, uh, one bedroom, um, tiny sort of place, you know, in a really humble, you know, location and, I've, I've got everything I need. So, um, yeah, like I said, I, I enjoy getting up and, and designing and making films and being involved in the little community that we have. And um, there's no desire to create wealth or anything. So it, it puts us in that unique position where we can sort of spread it out and, you know, hopefully share it around and, and create opportunities for other people within our little community we have. So, but um, 
what opportunities do you see in the next five to 10 years? Sustainability is the biggest one, just from firstly, from a business standpoint, we're not trying to grow. We're just trying to find a really good balance and um, make sure that we can provide for everyone involved and, you know, just sort of find a, a nice little space in the market. Um, and then, yeah, the, like that, that word sustainability, it sort of, you know, extends into, um, you know, building products as well. So we're spending a lot of time just sort of make ethically making sure that, you know, um, we're doing things the best we can do them. So, um, yeah, the first sort of step was just not creating stuff, stuff that didn't need to exist. So the, all the packaging and swing tags and fitting shop fittings and all the stuff that, you know, so much stuff gets made and, and ends up in landfill that we wanted to get rid of that. And then we wanted to make sure products were made to last and, you know, people could get a long, you know, reasonable time out of them. And, and now, um, you know, we're making, you know, the, the fabrics that we're using are they they're coming from recycled you know pre-used plastics and we're, we're just to introduce ulex you know plant based rubber into parts of the line and um we're slowly um rolling fair trade across our wetsuits so we've just in the last couple of weeks um released our first fair trade products with and you know we're continuing to grow that so um yeah it's really just looking back at that you know good connection with nature and, and making sure that we're not, you know, taking advantage um, of a situation to get wealthier, that we're really sort of investing in creating good products and, and trying to make them with as little impact to the planet as we can. So it, it, that stuff takes decades to really, you know, refine and you're always refining stuff, but, um, you know, we're, we're really making some really good positive moves there and, you know, I believe we're, we're offering a really good, you know, option in that space. So. Do you fantasize about getting back on the road for months on end and uh, being able to exercise and explore some of that wanderlust that you did a decade or two ago? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's weird as, as I, you know, um, it's becoming less and less of a need. I, um, really finding I'm connecting, you know, deeper with the, where I live and, um, uh, you know, just, I've been enjoying, I'm still, I, I was traveling a lot and I do travel, you know, locally a lot, just, you know, for waves, but, um, yeah, I, I really appreciate the area that I, I live in and, um, you know, just spending time in that. So it's becoming less and less of a need of mine. Um, yeah, to be honest, the last what being an Australian, we, we we can't really even go anywhere at the moment. But we're also blessed with this. You know, we've got our own continent to play with. So, um, and there's a lot of diversity in you know this area. But um, yeah, so we feel really fortunate at the moment with you know there's so many people stuck in all sorts of situations and you know climates around the world. But um, living in Australia at the moment, it's sort of you know, it's COVID free and um, we don't really have any restrictions other than international travel. And, um, you know, we've got a, a big, big place to play in. So I feel pretty fortunate at the moment. So that's good enough. <laughs> good. Yeah. Um, 
What surf media do you follow at this point? Um, yeah, good question. Um, I, I've been listening to a lot of your um, podcasts. Like when I'm driving, I've been listening to a lot. Um, I really enjoy, you know, what you're doing. It's, yeah, fantastic. And um, uh, I've enjoyed doing watching um, what uh, Sean Doherty and John Frank have done recently with Surfing World. I think there's a really good... Um, sort of um approach yeah there you go got a copy right here <laughs> yeah um and that, that's a, that's actually the some of the first the print first print advertising need essentials has ever contributed to I that we uh, i saw that we, yeah we pass it on to a um to an environmental group um so we, we buy the ad space but we give it away but um and I think, you know, there's a lot of, com- there's other companies doing that within that magazine, which I think is a really good business model from, you know, John and Sean. Um, so, yeah, I think they're doing a really good thing. It's sort of over here, it's become sort of a, a good community, you know, magazine that, and, you know, it's worked like anything that John Frank does, I think is pretty well considered and there's some beautiful imagery in there. And so I've enjoyed that. Um, other than that, um, I don't know, I'd, yeah i don't know <laughs> youtube i guess <laughs> yeah I, I mean it's an interesting conversation or it's an interesting self-assessment even you know because so many of my reference points are from my youth but when i actually yeah. look at things or when i actually like try to analyze what i've spent time on in the last two or three years i'm not really following that much you know i mean instagram i get a lot of content from but i'm not actually going out of my way to subscribe to magazines or even visit websites at this point yeah um yeah i I find myself delving into the archives of stuff um yeah i don't know i end up in the depths of youtube sometimes i've been um recently i've been watching um a guy called malcolm douglas who is uh an australian adventurer um sort of in the 70s he's an amazing fellow that um he spent a lot of time with um, indigenous communities and um, was sort of recording, you know, how a lot of communities were living, you know, in country before sort of, um, you know, getting to, um, you know, threatened or too sort of um, influenced by Western cultures. But, um, you know, I found some amazing stuff there. There's another guy, Albie Mangles, um, an Australian adventurer, you know, he made some amazing films back in the seventies, which, um, yeah, I really appreciate some of that stuff. There's some incredible archives running nowadays that you can yeah. you know, go back and I, um, I love watching some of that old stuff cause it's just a bit slower you know, the media is a bit slower and it's a bit yeah. more considered and it's not just bang, 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 next, next, next. It's, um, yeah, it, it's a, yeah, there's a different tempo to it, which I really appreciate which is by the way, what I liked a lot about lost track, um, in general, but this first episode of the Atlantic series is, um, it draws you in and I'm so programmed to just sit down and expect it to grab my attention and it doesn't, but I find myself being drawn in because it doesn't. And it's the only thing that I've watched surf related that I've devoted 45 minutes to as a result. And I was captivated by it. It it was much more like what is on Netflix 
than what mm. comes from the surf world, you know? Mm. Yeah, I, I, I was talking to someone the other day and we used the phrase slow media. And um, I just, yeah, I think it's something that everyone got sort of in the last 10 years, they got caught up with Instagram and hits and likes and impressions and att attention spans in general felt like they were diminishing. But, um, but I think it also creates a really good opportunity for people to, you know, people are craving slow media. Um, another good magazine I liked is, uh, I like is uh, White Horses in a, yep. from Australia. Um, and, you know, they're good articles and they're well considered and good, you know, well thought out, um, you know, images. And so I think there's a, there's a place for print media and, um, you know, there's a, there's a real opportunity out there for filmmakers and everything just to slow it down a bit and, um, you know, consider things and, and um, yeah, just I don't know, make something that's a bit more timeless, like rather than something that's just a quick hit out. And, um, what is your role um, in the films that you produce? Are you, uh, do you have any creative influence at all? Yeah, it's like, obviously, you know, the surfers do the surfing <laughs> and Ishka or, you know, other filmmakers that we work with, you know, do all the hard bits, the editing, and they, they put, you know, hundreds of hours in, even thousands of hours into, you know, creating these films. And but, um, and then a lot of our films, we do our own original soundtracks too. So um, that's a really fun experience. You know, we get, um, there's a group in the area that we're from um, called Headland. Um, Murray and Les from those bands are, you know, amazing musicians and, um, you know, they've been doing it for decades and um, they're really fun to work with. And, you know, just to design a um, soundscape or a soundtrack, you know, to a film is just to be involved in that is, you know, a really enriching experience. So um, my, my job's just to, yeah, like as a producer, it's just to make sure um, everything, everyone has what they need to do what they do well and support everyone. And obviously I come in as in another opinion and, you know, help sort of shape the storyline and, you know, sort of give the, give the film structure and everything. But, um, you know, all the technical genius and, you know, the music and everything comes from, um, you know, mostly Ishka and, and the musicians and the surfers and everything. So they're, they're doing all the, the important bits. Yeah. I meant to bring up Headland at the beginning of the episode or the beginning of our conversation. Uh, they do an amazing job and it really, I mean, scoring the film adds such a kind of a different dimension to the end product than just placing songs in it. And they do a phenomenal job. Yeah, they do. Um, just before COVID hit, um, we'd, we'd done two shows with them, but we'd taken the the Nordor land film out, mm -hmm. the one that was sort of shot up in the northern parts of the Atlantic. But um, we'd actually taken it out on the road and um, they were playing live to it. So they were playing Amazing. the soundtrack to an, a live audience. And um, yeah, it was mind blowing. Like it was really tripping people out, like to see just the skill of, you know, timing everything and, you know, playing it in rhythm with that as the film played. And um, it was a you know stunning show. And um yeah, but it, it, just as COVID hit and we'd got two shows out and then had to sort of 
you know, um, cancel it all. So hopefully one, you know, one day we get to do that again. So. What's the release schedule for the next three episodes of Lost Track Atlantic? Um, I know a <laughs> good, uh, a really good friend and mentor of mine, Simon Buttonshaw, once said to me, "If the only when we, when I hear deadline, deadline, I all I hear is the word dead." And uh, <laughs> so it's something we, uh, I sort of rings true with, with me. But um, we don't really have a deadline, but um. It's almost finished, and when it's ready, we'll put it out. But um, it'll it'll be in the next few weeks. But um, we don't want to, you know, leave it too long. But you know, going back to that, the first one needs a bit of consideration too. And I know, agree. But, um, sometimes it's good to watch something once and then put it down and come back to it, and you might pick something more up or learn something more or see something differently. So, you know, I'd I'd like to think people have the opportunity to do that before we, you know, go plastering them out on a, a weekly basis but um the next one um yeah is is beautiful it just ch everything changes color you know and, um get to north africa and you know it, it's a very different film um same trip but you know very different and uh what we've tried to do with the film is really um celebrate the, the different sounds and colors and smells and people and cultures you know along the road so um even though it's the same trip it's yeah it's got a, a totally different flavor this one so um and yeah torrent gets some incredible surf like it um i think there's been a few little snippets that have gone out of it and you know some of the points in north africa but um yeah a phenomenal year of surf there and some incredible banks and yeah that's all in this next episode. So pretty excited to share it. Did, um, obviously in part one, he broke, he set his two favorite boards at that right reef in Scotland. Mm. How is, how did he replace those? Was Simon shipping and boards on the trip? Um, he, I took a, we actually went over, um, on a trip. Um, we went to Iceland, uh, in the middle of winter, like around Christmas time, uh, January, I think. Um, and Torrin flew over and met us and it was just a trip, you know, midwinter, we always try and go somewhere really cold just to test wetsuits and make sure everything works. So we'd spent, um, a few weeks up, up there just surfing in the snow and cruising around and, you know, spending heaps of time. So I, I, I carried a, a few boards over for him, you know, to replace on that trip that, um, I think, yeah, he, he ran pretty lean for a little bit. And then um, those boards really just came in towards the end. And um, it was shortly after that, that, you know, the whole COVID thing kicked in. And um, yeah, it wasn't too long after that, that Torren was having to give the van away to a friend in you know, Morocco and basically left all his stuff there. And I think he, he got the last plane that left Morocco out, like got out by the skin of his teeth. And, um, you know, um, came back into Australia just as everyone had to quarantine and um, all that. So, yeah, that, that really sort of changed the, the course of that trip. And, um, yeah, there, there was plans to take the van back up to where it began and, and to go and revisit France and Spain and Portugal. And, but, um, yeah, as we all know, it's sort of no one planned for it, but the 2020 went a little... <laughs> didn't go to plan for most people so totally 
Mm. You could always do that trip on a, at a different time in a coming year. Um, yeah. Final question is uh, what was the last board that you rode? What did you ride today? Um, a good friend of mine, Navarin Fox, um, has shaped me a seven, six. Um, it's like a single fin. Um, it's basically the, I, I own two boards. I have that and I have a um, 10 foot glider and um, I've always run light. I don't collect things. So um, the seven, six is my short board and I'll ride that and anything from sort of um, two foot to 15 foot surf. And the, if it's small or, or really big, I'll, I'll switch to the glider. But um, I, I'm lucky enough to have this seven, six sort of, it's a hull at the front with a deep concave in the back, you know, where the single is. And um, it's just one of those magic boards. I think I'm up to about two years on the thing now. So Whoa. yeah, previous to that, I was um, shaping my own boards and for way too long, I was persisting on trying to get my own shapes to work better. I, I gave up. <laughs> that That is uh, so amazing to me that you only have two boards in your quiver. And what is it about the seven, six that uh, is the all rounder? Like that's kind of a surprising option for me that that would be your one board that you can ride in a wide variety of conditions. Yeah. It, um, it's just the feel. Um, I, I just love how it feels that you don't have to, you can stand there and the speed, you know, generates underneath you and you can just focus on choosing good lines. And, um, yeah, I, I'm not big. I, I grew up riding short boards and, you know, um, and I just sort of, as I matured, I just sort of, yeah, I had enough of that. I actually had a, um, I think went on that trip in Chile years ago. I, um, and on that trip I was talking about earlier, I got to, opportunity surf for months on end with just by myself without anyone watching and it's sort of for me I went through a real epiphany of why I was surfing and you know you take the crowd away or the you know the not the crowd but the, the audience away and it really made me question you know why I was surfing and you know what I was riding and and what I was trying to get out of it and yeah post that that sort of moment i um i really sort of adjusted what i was writing and i really just love boards that plane and you know pick up generate their own speed and they, you know you're not going to go out and rip on them but geez they they feel just amazing underfoot and there's just a feeling to them that just you know is good <laughs> are you going to do yeah. an air reverse on it though in hell no <laughs> what about what about when the waves are hollow does it i mean can you knife in do a section yeah, where I live, there's a lot of ledgy, um, you know, reef breaks. So um, it, it's got enough volume. It just, you know, you got to pick your waves, but you, yeah, you just, um, you know, it's got enough volume just to get in that moment early. And, and, you know, if you can get halfway down the face before it starts pitching out, you, you're all good. But, um, cool. yeah, it's not for everyone. I, I don't recommend yeah, everyone but go out and buy one. I do, you know, ride that. It just works for me. So, um yeah, I like it. <laughs> how how has it lasted for two years? Uh, two stringers and a heavy glass job. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I like okay. I like boards with weight, and um, yeah, like I said, I'm not trying to do airs or anything. So, I, I, you know, the glider I've got has got a um, 
what is it? Probably an inch and a half cedar stringer in it and just gives it this beautiful sort of weight that it, even when it's windy or bumpy, it just plows through, you know, plows through stuff and it gets this incredible inertia, you know, going. So, um, you know, weight, if you're trying to ride a shortboard, it's, it's not your friend, but on, you know, something with a bit of volume and a bit of planing, I, I really find it's your it's beneficial and it gives you, it gives you this incredible inertia. So, um, yeah. Good. I'm a mm. fan too. Yeah. Um, well, Ryan, it's been wonderful catching up and, uh, congratulations on the yes. coming kid too. Yeah. And, and to you, it's great to hear. I'm, um, stoked for you. Thank I you think, very um, much. I think there might be a bit of a baby boom if you lock everyone up and tell they tell people they can't travel and make them stay at home. And this is what happens. So. Totally. That's that's um we were kind of mapping for this anyways, pre-COVID, but yeah, COVID might have uh might definitely have expedited it. Yeah, I'm excited. It's a um beautiful chapter. I'm can't wait. I'm coming to fatherhood late um no, really late but um yeah i uh, i'm super excited i can't wait for it you'll be extra ready because you're coming into <laughs> it in your mid-40s <laughs> yeah That's right good. on well thanks again ryan yeah thanks david appreciate the time and um thanks for doing what you're doing thanks for doing what you do it's um it's really good and it, it, it brings a really um unique perspective to the whole surf community so i love what you do thank you very much i appreciate that Thanks, man. Right. This is the light right here before clouds bitter sweeten with suggestion. This is the light bald and bold as baby crawling toward adulteration. There was blood when you were born and the blood was white from your eyes. This must be the light you saw That just left you screaming And this must be the light you saw Before our eyes could disguise true meaning And this must be the light you saw Just as you were leaving Ryan's full biz is at neatessentials.com. You can find Lost Track Atlantic, uh, episode one, there as well, or I've posted all of that stuff on surfsplendorpodcast.com. And Ryan isn't accessible publicly. I don't think he has an Instagram account, but if you leave a comment for him in our comment section on our website, I will make sure that he sees that. Uh, I also did an episode with Torin Martin and filmmaker Ishka Folkwell. Uh, when they released the film Thank You Mother that was back in February of 2019 so you can find that it's episode number 254 you can find it on our website or um, you know on whatever app you're listening to this you can probably find it there as well and then Torin's board builder is Simon Jones his label is Morning of the Earth Surfboards I recorded an episode with him and that was episode 341 so both those episodes available in our archives go back and grab those of course those archives exist because subscribers help fund our work here for five dollars a month so if you're on our website consider clicking that link and chipping in that really does go a long way to supporting our work here 
All right, I dropped an episode of Spit this week with Scott Bass and special guest Devin Howard, everybody's favorite guest, Devin Howard. Devin, for a guy who doesn't actually have a podcast of his own, has probably done more podcasts than anyone who doesn't have their own podcast. Uh, But he's always great. He's a fan favorite, so go check that out. And then I'll be dropping an episode of The Grit with Chaz Smith later this week as well. And then Margaret River event for the WSL starts this weekend. So lots to look forward to in the surf world. My name is David Scales for Surf Splendor. I will be back here next week with an all-new episode. Until then, I'm reminding you to squeeze in your own water time, get back in the ocean, share some waves, and of course, shred on. Thank you.